This is my hotel room setup. My microphone's on a cracker box and I'm using that shoe to hold up my phone. <laughs> yeah, it works, <laughs> whatever. I gotta tell you, I'm a lightweight on this one. I came out the gates really hot. That's like a 20 year old story and I got nothing and then it's Bret Hart and then it's zero. Yeah, you were less a sales guys at that big nightclub. You came storming in, drank 20 shots and you were done in 45 minutes. Yeah, yeah. exactly. They would probably throw some shit at producer Mike. Who the fuck is this Mike guy? What did he do? Did <laughs> to tell producer Mike to step up his game? I have no basis to say that. I, I literally just dropped that in there so you can have that as a soundbite. You're talking about how the the story behind it is more important than who the person is because half people won't know who she is. It's not like it's, you know, I can't even name a famous actress right now. But Meg Ryan. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Meg, oh my God, Bruce. Meg Ryan thrown it way back. Good. So... Is yeah, it, that was the know, first one that came to mind. May Ryan, who, like the <laughs> orgasm Meg Ryan, that when Harry met Sally Meg Ryan, like 20 years ago, Meg Ryan. Yeah. Wow. Have you seen her lately? She's an abomination. She looks fucking terrible. Oh, really? Yeah, she got some bad uh, plastic surgery. And then, then I'm standing there going like, okay, do I ask her for her phone number? <laughs> Which I'm sure she probably just doesn't give out. <laughs> right. And she goes, well, why don't you give me your number? And she just handed me her phone. So I was like, oh, I'm putting my phone number in uh, Tatiana Maslany's phone. Of course, I never heard from her. I was so very happy to hear that Dolores liked the, uh, the pod so much last time. I know. It was totally her favorite. I got to admit, that's a little bit of the reason I went to this topic, because it's another storytelling pod. And so I thought she yeah. she might like this. You, you never stop being swayed by your mother. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Because I had a couple ideas, but I thought this was a good follow-up. I hope it is anyway, so we'll see. This episode of the Snow Day Podcast is brought to you by the Wild Pacific Lookout. If you need a place to stay in beautiful... You clued it. British Columbia. Try this ocean view, three bedroom luxury vacation rental. It's Mark's place in Euclid. It's just a stunning, stunning place. Yeah, it is stunning. Go to wildpacificlookout.com. It's June 2021. This is episode 43 Brushes with Greatness. Snow day. I'm for a snow day. Here's the disclaimer there are some curse words. They're not beeped, it's too much work. And at times, we may be mildly offensive. It's not aimed at you, it's just who we are. This is the Snow Day Podcast with Dr. George Alvarez. So that was my one time where I thought I was going to, you know, fight Tom Cruise because he's such a little short shit. CEO Leslie Hansen. All I could think reaching out and shaking his hand was, this hand has punched Mike Tyson in the face. Leadership expert, Stephen DeGroote. Having a piss in Jeff Healy's dressing room with Steve. That was a lifetime highlight. And me, Bruce Krentz, the one they left behind. That little moment inspired me so much that I wrote a song about it. This is hockey. Just... Two and a half hours ago, I got my COVID card, my Manitoba. I've got my papers, man. I've got that little code <laughs> thing. And so I, I can travel province to province. I can presumably start going to NHL games. So you've got to be double vaxxed and have two weeks beyond your second vaccine. And it got a picture on my phone, a paper copy coming, <laughs> three screenshots. I'm legal everywhere, man. It's like being 21 again. Double vaxxed and double waxed. It's a hot brew summer. <laughs> Uh, other than that, we're still pretty locked down in Manitoba. It, it was a really funny message to have come out because our, our restrictions are still super, like we're absolutely locked down for another week. Um, although Saskatchewan beside us is basically wide open. Alberta, it's it's Texas over there. Um, so <laughs> so it's kind of strange. Uh, Lester, what's your restrictions looking like? Middle of TO, you, you still us, still on full quarantine? We are still in full lockdown. I actually read the other day that Toronto has had the longest and stricted lockdown of any city in North America, which sucks for those of us who live in Toronto. George, how's things in Alberta? Oh, it's fucking like Rio here. People are just going crazy. <laughs> <laughs> it's Carnival. <laughs> uh, and otherwise, I'm doing a big kitchen reno. So that's sort of my, uh, 
my checkup. Lester, what do you got other than being locked down or is it still just the same as everything? No, it's still just the same. Can we officially recognize that I won the Snow Day Pod COVID hair growing contest? <laughs> Can we just acknowledge that? <laughs> By a mile. The the cover art is gonna be is gonna be your hair, but you gotta send us your best homeless guy photo. Get get Alex to work on the lighting. I've got a number of very good homeless man hair uh, photos for sure. Coming off soon though. Looking forward to getting a haircut soon. I've actually gotten tired of growing it at this point. I'm ready for a haircut <laughs> after 17 months. <laughs> mine was probably kind of close to that, but mine sort of stopped growing. It just kind of fizzled out. I could have legged it out longer, but I was surprised. Murphy grew his hair for half the time I did, and it was twice as long for sure. So I don't know if that's an old person or maybe your hair just has a length. I'm sure it would have kept getting a little bit longer, but it really didn't grow very fast at all. It was weird. Yeah, no, I, I think that happens. I think that happens. You win that one for sure. You are coming up on 50. Hello, Jack Offstrong here. Les, happy 50th birthday. Hey, just want to reach out, let you know I'm thinking about you. And Les, thanks for being such a wonderful guy. And thanks as well for being such a huge Raptors fan. Your jump shot, a eh, little weak. Happy 50th birthday. Enjoy it. Yeah, I don't know what I'm supposed to say. I'm down to my last week here. The big 5-0 on the horizon. I will hit my target of having put a thousand miles on my spin bike. I hit that objective uh, in advance <laughs> of the birthday. I felt like you had a good realistic goal. That was a good resolution. You had to push yourself, but it wasn't, I'm going to cycle around the world in four months. Good 50-year-old sensibility. <laughs> yeah. In terms of goal-setting strategy, it was pretty good too. Nice round number target. Great to talk about, to visualize. Just enough time to do it. Yeah, I've enjoyed it too. I'm down 14 pounds as of this morning. Whoa. That's not just a result of riding the bike, but that was just another goal for the birthday. I got one pound to go, George. I got one pound to go. I decided I was going to try to get to 185 again for my birthday. Oh. It's been a few years since I've seen 185. Yeah, I started at two bills on uh, on New Year's Day morning. Holy, that's a good push. That for sure is your best check-in, uh, Les, because normally your check-in are boring because you don't do anything. Yeah, I'm fucking boring. <laughs> so you've been, you've been saving your check-in for uh, pre-birthday. It's it's a pretty good one. That's a, That's a lot of weight. And a lot of miles. Well, it's fun to think that I, I basically rode from Thompson to Winnipeg and back. Thompson to Winnipeg and back. Yeah, about a yeah. thousand miles. Thompson, Winnipeg yeah. and back. A thousand miles. Yeah, what a beauty. I wish you had given me a couple months notice. I could have met you in the middle on the weight thing. <laughs> oh, yeah? <laughs> I was I was never 15 under under 185. That's way too little. But I, I would have had to put on a, a, a good 10 uh, to, to meet you, meet you at 185. So you should, you should have let me know. <laughs> Marnie would have been happy. She's been bugging me for all of COVID to put on more weight. To put some I'm weight only, back on. Yeah. Yeah. I'm the, I'm the rare person in COVID who's been losing weight. I feel like I'm going to turn 50 feeling good about everything. Very content, happy with where I'm at, feel great physically. COVID's going away. Buy a Harley and you're all set. <laughs> yeah. My one other little piece of the check-in, boys, is the new Serlin Greaves CD. I think I sent you guys a copy. Two of the guys from The Watchmen. I have not been this hooked on a CD in 20 years. And I thought it was just me. And a couple of days ago, producer Mike called me. He's like, is this fucking thing running through your head 24-7? It's out of control. And Marnie, too. Every song on there is absolutely terrific. I'm sure I've listened to it every day, and I haven't done that with a CD. I couldn't tell you the last time. And I wonder if part of it is just they're the same age as us and they're singing songs about a lot of similar experiences to us and they grew up in winnipeg mm. and so it mm -hmm. it's a band mm -hmm. that i kind of know but but sort of the messages and obviously their style is going to be something that appeals to me because same thing where the same age and same background and stuff mm -hmm. uh but it's it's freaking wild man like every morning i wake up with a different one of those songs rattling around in my head wow i'm gonna have to give that a listen now yeah yeah they also did a podcast where they described all the songs where they came from or what the song's about and normally i don't think i'd want to have that with a cd it's nice to have some mystery and you make up your own backstory to some of the songs and they even address that in the podcast but it also in this case i think really lent a lot of strength to each of the songs to kind of know what they were written about and a little bit of history of them and stuff. So maybe that's part of the reason too, that I'm just like absolutely smitten with this CD, but it's, it's crazy, man. And just so we're clear, Bruce, that was not a paid ad, right? That was just, you, you actually <laughs> love this album. <laughs> 
I was going to say, it sounds like an infomercial. <laughs> I should shout out their website. It's serlingreaves.ca, and you can find them on Twitter. <laughs> there you go. Sad songs for sale. That's what it's called. Bruce George can tell you I was hustling this morning. I was actually trying to get our first ad spot on the pod tonight, but I couldn't close the deal. I tried, though. I pitched it. <laughs> Man alive. Here's the other one then. If we're talking about that, those guys from Dauphin, Cam Bennett, who George went to res with, have a podcast called uh, Songs for Quarantine. And so there are a couple of teachers and their shtick is, it's almost like a desert island thing. So they interview different people. The, the deal is the interviewers have put you in the car and they're driving you to quarantine. So you talk about your five favorite CDs and just kind of go through them. They had interviewed another guy from Res, and it was super interesting, actually, and just nice to hear their voices. They're not really great friends of mine, but it was kind of cool. And so we kind of had a little back and forth, and he said, hey, let's do a crossover episode and do some cross-promotion. So maybe in September, we'll have to do like a crossover episode with those guys. It would be it would be kind of neat. They're good interviewers, and it's interesting. So maybe we'll have a crossover pod with them. I told them, though... We don't have that many listeners. If you think this is going to grow your base big time by doing a crossover, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it might be a waste of time for you, but eh, whatever. <laughs> Here's a funny story about lying about numbers. So one of our mutual friends, Mark, texts Les and I a couple of days ago saying, oh, I listened to your pod. It was pretty good because I mentioned Mark Frompson diving. Oh, yeah. and I guess he was yeah. in Spain rather than the south of France or vice versa. He listens to our pod all the time. He tells me all the time. He enjoys it. Okay, well, good, good. Well, uh, much love to, to Fromper out there because yeah. I was actually texting him not that long ago because we're thinking about going to Tofino for a weekend yeah. in September. Less casually drops that we have, I don't know, twenty to 30,000 listeners per pod and then leaves it hanging. No, hold on. For like two George, minutes. you're telling the story all backwards. <laughs> no, no, no. But it, eventually the punchline is you make this gigantic lie and then Prof goes, oh my God, you should sell ad space. This is big enough for that you could get Apple to sponsor you in Intel and uh, Shell Canada. All this crazy stuff. And then I just write back, ha, 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 ha. I was pitching him saying, you should be our first ad sponsor because he was saying, right. oh, it was so nice to hear my name mentioned on the pod. I feel like part of the family. I was like, yeah, that's great. I go, hey, you should be our first ad sponsor because he has a rental property on Vancouver Island, not in Tofino, but in Uclulet. Uh, I think I'm, I, I pronounce that incorrectly every time I say it. I have so much trouble with that word, yeah. but it's just a stunning, stunning place and he rents it out. And so I was like, you should put that you know, as an ad spot on the pod. And he goes, oh yeah, how many listeners do you have? So I say, uh, like off the top of my head, I think about 30,000 on an episode. <laughs> he responds immediately with like what George is saying. Oh, you guys know that you could actually monetize that, right? You could have, like, he's, he's big in digital media. Like that's the world that he works in. Yeah. And I go, well, yeah, actually it's not, that's not true, Mark. It's a much smaller number. <laughs> I did tell him we would give him a free ad spot, which he then turned yeah. down. Which he then turned yeah. down. Go to wildpacificlookout.com. Clearly, we didn't observe his wishes. That's wildpacificlookout.com. We went fishing in September there. We did, yeah. We went salmon fishing on the ocean yeah. on that trawler. Yeah, and we paid $500 for a fillet of salmon <laughs> to bring back <laughs> to our respective homes. Yeah. <laughs> the most expensive salmon that we've ever purchased was the salmon we caught ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> By a large margin. By a large margin. I'm Body of the podcast for episode 43 is brushes with greatness. And this is a legitimate snow day topic in my mind. I've done this in the basement. I've done this around the fire where you just start to ask people, what are some of the brushes with greatness? What are some famous people, interesting people that you've come across in your life? And really it's as much about the story as about the person. Just because Barack Obama waved to you from the podium 20,000 people away doesn't make that as good a brush with greatness as if Ed Wernick, the curler, went on a bus trip with you and you guys hung out and chatted. I have a lot of B-list 
and C-list Canadian celebrities. Uh, most of them thanks to working at the rec center and just hanging around in Thompson. That's where most of my uh, paths got crossed. And a bunch of them come from NHL hockey players that came to Thompson. For a couple years, they did this legends thing where different people would come and it was a charity event. And luckily, our group got tapped to often play against them. We were like the Washington Generals. I think that's the guys that the Harlem Globetrotters play against. Yeah, yeah. The sacrificial lambs to the Harlem mm -hmm. Globetrotters. They put us out there to go get beat up by these guys. One of the first guys to come was Marcel Dion. Ooh. Oh, yeah. Played with the Los Angeles Kings and was at one time the leading scorer in the NHL. So, yep. like, legitimately huge name. This time, they probably couldn't afford a whole five or six guys. So this time, there was only two players. And so, luckily, he played on our team. It wasn't like we were the best players in Thompson. It was sort of whoever had a friend or di different reasons for people being there. What it worked out to was he played on a different line each period, which was great. We had three lines. So everybody got to spend a period playing with Marcel Dion. The third period was the period for me to play with him. And it was him and me and Cindy Daikun, RCMP, one of our friends. Three of us are sitting on the bench. It's the third period. I don't even know what the score was. And he looks over at us and he goes, you know what? This is hockey. This is what hockey is all about. He said, look, the stands are full and there were seven or 800 people there because it's Thompson and there was nothing else to do. He yeah. said, look, it's a charity game in the middle of February and all these people came here to watch hockey. Isn't this awesome? Yeah. And I'm like, holy shit. One of the best <laughs> hockey players in the world. Now, whether he was faking me out or not, I don't think so. Like he seemed legitimately just happy with everything that was going on. Yeah. I go out onto the ice the next shift like, and run around like a chicken with no head, right? I'm just so excited and pumped up because <laughs> Marcel Dion gave us this little rah-rah speech about hockey. Sure enough, partway through that shift, he throws one out of the corner and I get it and score a goal. And I'm thinking, this just doesn't get any better than that. Got a goal from Marcel Dion in a nothing game, but a uh, speech from one of the best hockey players ever. Yeah, guy, you're on the score sheet with Marcel Dion. <laughs> yeah, it's incredible. <laughs> That little moment inspired me so much that I wrote a song about it, so I'll include it at the end of the pod, but it's called This is Hockey. <laughs> I wrote it with a friend of mine, with Murphy's piano teacher, Russell Peters. So the two of us put it together and we entered it in a CBC contest. We were hoping to get it played on Hockey Night in Canada. Now we got absolutely crushed in this thing. It was a thing where people had to vote for you and all kinds of stuff. We, ne we kind of never had a chance. I'll drop that in at the end of the pod. And Ron McLean and Theron Fleury and a bunch of guys were up in Thompson for Hockey Day in Canada. He sang it there. So Yeah, I remember watching that. Yeah, The funny brush with greatness on that one was uh, for Hockey Day in Canada. It was one of the very first times they did a split screen on Coach's Corner. So Ron McLean was in Thompson in a, in a booth. Don Cherry was in Toronto. So for one of the very few times they weren't together. But the way the camera was... Ron McLean had his back to the crowd and Harold Smith spent the whole segment making it look like he was sitting on Ron McLean's shoulder because <laughs> 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 of the, the way the camera angle was and he was outside and stuff. A bunch of people were out there with signs and stuff, right? But it was, it was hilarious. My other good hockey one from a similar event was uh, Tiger Williams came to Thompson. And again, not the biggest, greatest hockey player ever, but a notable name. Famous, yeah. And you know what? The year that they said Tiger Williams was coming, I thought, Oh, brutal. This is it. We've jumped the shark because we had had a couple good years. He was the best by a mile. He changed with us. Life of the party. Just a great guy. He was awesome on the ice. Still a really good player. Fun to have. All that kind of stuff. At the time, I was working at the rec center and, and he was playing on our team again. So we come out of the dressing room. When the game gets all started, they introduce everybody, all that. They're playing O'Canada and he's standing beside me. And halfway through the anthem, he turns to me and goes, you work in this fucking shithole? <laughs> he goes you owe me four bucks for skate sharpening for all the fucking gravel i walked across to get out onto the ice <laughs> <laughs> oh boy what do you say to that so he, he was playing defense and actually in the end he was he fed me a couple passes and it was fun but then he he took it all back as as we were leaving the rink he said you know what i gotta take that back only because the showers were awesome these are some of the best showers i've ever had in a small town rink so i don't know you lose some with tiger williams <laughs> yeah we're big on water pressure here it's one of our claims yeah. to fame. <laughs> <laughs> Last, last here, I'll, I'll give you the last hockey one then and I'll move off of hockey. And the very last one was there was an outdoor game that year between Edmonton and 
Calgary or Edmonton and Winnipeg or something. It was in Edmonton, and Mark Napier was one of the one of the stars, and he wasn't that long out of the NHL at that time. Producer Mike and I come walking into the rink to get ready for the game. We meet him in the hallway, and he goes, uh, "Hey guys, I'm Mark Napier. Nice to meet you." We're like, "Yeah, we know who you are." <laughs> But thanks for introducing yourself. He goes, we're short a couple guys. Do you know anybody who could play on our team that's pretty good? Yeah, us and, and our three best friends. So we end up playing on the Stars team that year. And one of the aging stars was Bob Bourne. So I don't know if you remember that name. I didn't even really know him very well. Like He was old at this time. One of the guys that plays on our team, Darren King, is a pharmacist. And after the game, he went up to Kinger and he said, you know what? Like, is there any way you can get me some Viagra? <laughs> <laughs> Kinger's like just wants to do a solid for this aging superstar guy so he takes him to his pharmacy after hours and sells him some Viagra and then they leave town and they go play in the next town and Monday morning Kinger goes in and the credit card bounced so the joke is he got stiffed by Bob Bourne <laughs> <laughs> that's actually pretty good it's a true story just because you're on a on a hockey theme Years ago, I was working in an office downtown in the entertainment district. It was the middle of the afternoon on like a Wednesday. I think I had a job interview, like a phone interview. And I wanted to leave my office to go somewhere to take a phone call. So I popped out. There were a couple of nightclubs that didn't open until the evening, but they were always kind of like open because the staff were in there like getting ready to set up right during the during the late afternoon yeah. i just pop in i'm like hey buddy do you mind if i just sit at the bar and i i gotta make a phone call do you mind if i sit here and he's like yeah no worries you know, get a glass of water or whatever he's like super nice guy bartender that you know obviously i knew a little bit and so i'm sitting at the bar i noticed that in the back there's one couple guy and a girl sitting in a booth talking then i kind of look, look over and i can't can't really see the guy he's got his chin down a little bit and but i can tell it's like a bombshell woman, gorgeous, blonde hair. Like I'm like, oh, okay. Some lucky fellow back there chatting up this girl. <laughs> so I'm, I'm making my phone call and every once in a while I kind of look over and you know how you just get the sense that somebody's being really sketchy? You can just kind of like feel it. Like I can feel like this guy's kind of like ducking down a little bit, like looking over at me, not wanting to be seen. And I'm like, so what's going on with this guy? I finish my call and I get off and I, I get like, oh, I'm going to go, go to the washroom so I could see who this is back there. And I, and I walk by and I look <laughs> And it's Matt Sundin. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, and this was like peak Matt Sundin years in Toronto. Like, I get it. You know, he's like the most famous guy in Toronto. It's the middle of the afternoon. He doesn't want fan. You know, he's, he's you know, with his wife, whatever, you know, blah, blah, blah. I go back to the bar and, <laughs> you know, I just thanking the bartender. I'm on my way out. I go, hey, uh, I see Sundin's back there. Does he come here in the afternoon often? And he looks at me and he goes, oh, only when he's in here with his girlfriend and not his wife. <laughs> 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 I'm like, ah, okay, that's why he's being a little sketchy. <laughs> the other hockey-related story I have, Bruce, is a little bit of a crossover. You know, you said the theme was about brush with greatness, which I could take as assuming you meant a, a person, but could also be something symbolic because we both have been in very close proximity to the Stanley Cup. <laughs> yes. And absolutely. the reason is <laughs> we both... <laughs> have met the cup keeper of the Stanley Cup, who Bruce met, I think, when he was up in Thompson. Is that right, Bruce? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Came up and brought the cup around, and you've, like, met him. That guy was my next-door neighbor when I lived in Midtown. Super nice guy, Joe Average guy, got to know him a little bit, really friendly, and literally, we'd, I'd go over and sit on his deck in the backyard and have beers, and the Stanley Cup would be sitting there. I think I've, I've, like, I've shown you guys pictures. <laughs> I have drank beer out of the Stanley Cup. I have all sorts of pictures <laughs> holding the Stanley Cup. And he was like, yeah, dude, you can do anything you want. You can do anything you want with the cup. It's cool. And he had this guy. I mean, talk about a guy who would be great to get on the pod. This guy had oh. stories like you wouldn't believe because his job was to travel with the cup. So every year, you know, the team that wins the Stanley cup, each player gets to take it for a day. He goes with the cup the entire time. doesn't matter if they're in Cranbrook or Finland, he's taking mm -hmm. the cup to them to have their personal party with the cup. So he has all the crazy party stories of the cup. <laughs> he was a really fun guy to drink beer with. The one thing I remember that was really cool, though, that he, that him telling me, because at first, I mean, the first time it's like, dude, am I allowed, like, can I touch it? Like, he's like, yeah, you want a picture yeah. of the cup? Take a picture of the cup. You know, you, 
And I'm like, oh, I'm not allowed to touch it. He goes, yeah, do like whatever. And then you get all relaxed. He's like, listen, the one thing you cannot do is you cannot lift it over your head. Never raise it over your head. Never raise it over your head. And he was deadly serious about that for a guy who was like super casual and like whatever. And he literally like people were, would come over and put their baby in the Stanley cup and they'd be taking pictures <laughs> of their baby in the Stanley cup. And he could care less. He was like, you are not, if you lift that thing over your head, I will tackle you off this deck. Like he was dead serious <laughs> about it. You want to lift the cup over your head. You got to win the cup. And I was like, dude, respect. I got you. <laughs> but Bruce, you have That's also good. met, you've also met him, right? You've also met There's him. a funny story that goes with it. It was Scotiabank that brought it up and it was a little bit before that hockey day in Thompson or because Michael was working at Scotiabank at the time, sort of the assistant manager, people thought that he set that up and, and the deal with it was they brought it into Thompson, didn't tell anybody, set it up in a dressing room and one team of kids went in and got surprised to see this Stanley Cup. And so they take pictures and it's like, holy cow, right? The Stanley Cup's here. But of course it gets leaked out a little bit, but the word on the street all through Thompson was that Mike Krentz brought the Stanley Cup to Thompson and wouldn't share, like didn't tell anybody and wouldn't let anybody else come down there, right? There was a few people that had found out about it. Me being one of them, of course. So I, I put on the tuxedo and took the Munn Cup which I was the keeper of the cup and he's the keeper of the Stanley <laughs> Cup. So we've got a couple of really cool pictures of the Munn Cup and the Stanley Cup and both of us there like shaking hands and doing all that stuff. And so, yeah, I chatted with him like about the, you know, being a keeper, even though my role was considerably smaller than his. <laughs> <laughs> and I once broke the Munn Cup on a party bus, but yeah, <laughs> it happens. The yeah. best story he ever told me about the cup was um, he was with one of the, it was when Detroit had the cup and he was with one of the big name Detroit players. I can't remember which one it was. Stevie Eiserman. Yeah, Fedorov. No, it wasn't Fedorov. It might have been. It might have been Eiserman. Franchise player, yeah. I like playing hockey, but I don't actually watch that much. And these other guys, eh. I did a Google search. It's Chris Chelios. And they were having a party. The guy rented out a bar for a private party, and he had Kid Rock playing. (laughs) <laughs> for like a private party for like 250 people in a club in Detroit, right? Kid Rock's from Detroit. Yeah. It was just, as you might imagine, he goes, it was just a drunken shit show. And he said, Kid Rock started being very disrespectful of the cup. And he said it was Ooh. one of the few times that he's gotten like aggro, like full in a guy's face and said, I will fuck you up. Like you're done with the cup. <laughs> and he's not a big guy. Like, it's not like he's like the bodyguard for the cup. No. He's like total, like Joe average guy, right? Super nice, soft-spoken. Yeah. He was on stage and he had a cigar and he kept going over and, and ashing his cigar into the cup, which is how it started, Ooh. which he didn't like. And then it like went downhill from there and he, he actually cut it off. He's like, yeah, you're done with the cup, buddy. And he almost went fisticuffs with Kid Rock, <laughs> Kid in, a, Rock? in a club at a private party. I'm like, man, you have lived a cool life. <laughs> My name is Georgie, what you got? Well, I want to say that you're really resurrecting your apology stories, Bruce, because those those stories are fucking considerably better <laughs> than any of the apologies that you have. I think I'm going to play your role where my stories aren't as good as yours but i actually do have now that i think about it a couple of interesting stories we had a really good friend family friend who worked for united pictures and so anytime there was a premiere in sydney it was of course at the sydney opera house it was a big rigor more so rigor more so for the years that we were there we were always going to premieres and vanilla sky was uh playing and this was just before he divorced nicole kitman open your eyes And so we go to the Vanilla Sky premiere and sitting there with Petrina and Carrie. It's pretty dressy, so I'm wearing dress shoes, so I'm probably 6'2". Were you wearing your white whoring pants? (laughs) (laughs) No, but that would have been a good time for my whore pants. right. That little shout out to... uh, Your tailor. Yeah, or Or Rudd. You need to get some white white pants, Rudd. I think you look stunning in the white pants. (laughs) And I remember Petrina going like, wow, uh, you know, there's all these rumors that they're going to break up soon. I can't believe how much time they're spending schmoozing the crowd because there was all these people in barricades, but we were on the red carpet. And I look over and I could literally touch Tom Cruise. Wow. He's signing stuff and he looks over at me and he's on the curb. He looks up at you. He looks up at me. (laughs) 
It's when I realized how fucking short this yeah. guy was. I'm 6'2 with my shoes on, carry 6'1. Yeah. And we both look down at him <laughs> as he's looking straight at me. And I, I get this fucking cold stare like, fuck, and he just turns around. And then we both look at each other and we kind of giggle. So that was my <laughs> one time where I thought I was going to like, you know, fight uh, Tom Cruise because he's such a little short shit. That's awesome. It was one of those things where no matter how much money you have, how rich you are, if you're like heart size, you know, the black comedian heart, yeah. there's still a little kernel in you that hates how short you are. Right? <laughs> oh, without a doubt. Yeah. Short man syndrome never goes away. Yeah, it never goes away, no matter how many yeah. hundreds of millions of dollars. I wish that he had looked over and signed your white pants, but had written fuck you on them instead of his name. That would have been the best. <laughs> I will tell you that Nicole Kidman was stunning. Oh yeah. In person she's is she's stunning. Yeah. She's like, I mean this is quite a while ago, like 20 plus years ago, but she was stunning. Better looking than Meg Ryan? Yeah, way better looking than uh, than Meg Ryan. Meg Ryan. Uh, although Meggie was a cute. Was a cutie back in the day. Yeah. The second thing was of course Olivia Newton-John is Australian. Before I came back to Canada, I was working up in northern New South Wales and I took care of this uh, lady who came in with a seizure. And the reason why she came in with a seizure is she had this obsession with giving herself colonics, like free water colonics. <laughs> this is a funny story and it's gross at the same time. Funny and gross. This is your wheelhouse, just so you know. This is my wheelhouse. You know, you're constipated, you give yourself a free water enema, except this lady was really nutty bananas. And if you drink enough water or give yourself enough colonics, the sodium in your body will go down precipitously and you will seize. Yeah. So if you've got low sodium in your body called hyponatremia, you can seize. And I'm taking care of this lady. In my mind, I think, is this a fucking Australian thing? Who gives themselves so many free water colonic <laughs> enemas that they have a seizure? What a fucking freak. <laughs> I later find out she is the agent for Olivia Newton-John. I take care of her. her. Her seizures stop. She's on a ventilator for a little bit. And the next day, uh, one of the nurses go, oh, uh, there's somebody on the phone, uh, you know, a, a close friend of, you know, Mrs. X. It's Olivia. And I said, oh, like, I'm thinking it's her sister or something. So I pick up the phone and it's Olivia Newton-John on the phone. <laughs> and she starts talking to me and she goes... Oh, you know, in her very lovely, lilting Australian accent, because she lives very close to where I was working. She has this commune up there that <laughs> vegan people up there. And we have like a 15-minute conversation about her agent. And she was like the nicest person, really unassuming. <laughs> you could tell immediately it was Olivia Newton-John because everybody's seen Greece. <laughs> and so I ended up talking to her for 15 to 20 minutes. And then she finally said, yeah, she does tend to do things like this. You know, I've been trying to warn her that, you know, too much of a healthy thing is bad. And I really appreciate you taking care of her, Dr. Alvarez. And, and that was it. And then uh, <laughs> I talked to Olivia Newton-John about her crazy colonic <laughs> cleansing <laughs> agent. <laughs> That's hilarious. Since you went to music, I'll give you yeah. my other music one. It's not at all like Olivia Newton-John, but... And I've kind of got a list of same thing, like can rockers that blew through Thompson, right? So Met the Watchmen. I don't really have, to be honest, like a super great brush with greatness story other than we hosted them for a weekend. Like I drove them around in the van and kind of hung out with them and stuff, which was super fun. Um, that was quite a while ago and then met them again when they came back again. Uh, 5440, The Trues, George Fox, Beverly Mohood, Paul Brandt, like a bunch of those people came through. But probably the biggest one was Jeff Healy came to Thompson when he was sort of at the height of his fame. Huh. Karen Conway and I were the two people at the rec center. We were sort of like the local promoters, right? We were the two rec programmers. So the concerts and everything we did, that was our our gig. And it was one of the first times that we got a rider. What was on, uh, on Jeff Healy's rider was, I know this is going to start off sounding like a bad joke with a blind guy, but it was a New York Times. Yeah, yeah. Like there was somebody in his band that wanted the New York Times every day, <laughs> which like, how do you get that in Thompson, Manitoba? Like we, we thought that was a deal breaker. I thought you were going to say it was M&Ms with the green ones taken out. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be even more classic. It was a pack of players light. So we had to give him yeah. a pack of smokes. <laughs> There was a little bit of booze in there. And the one that just cracked me the most was egg salad sandwiches. Mm. 
And I thought, this guy goes on tour and he eats egg salad at every stop. Like, this man has an iron constitution. They go well with players' lights. <laughs> I, guess, I guess so. So Steve was there, and so I wish he was on the pod because he was with us and we're watching the show and it's awesome and everything. And we kind of have like backstage access in my air quotes. So we go into his dressing room and we're like eating the snacks and stuff and go and have a piss in his dressing room in the middle of the concert. We're like high-fiving each other, just thinking we're the kings of the world, right? This is so awesome. But later you look back, it was dressing room two in the C and Esbit Arena. I've been in there a thousand times. There was nothing really <laughs> special about it or the egg salad, but I guess it was just the fact that it was Jeff Healy's space and he was out playing and stuff. So it was it was awesome. And he was super nice guy and his band was cool. Like the show was totally, totally amazing. So yeah, having a piss in Jeff Healy's dressing room with Steve, that was a lifetime highlight. That's hilarious. I've told it on the pod before. I won't tell you. The other awesome rock and roll story is Johnny Faye coming to our house for Christmas with Andrea. Tragically hip brush with greatness is pretty good, but that one's in the hip episode. So if anybody yeah. hasn't heard it, go go back and listen to the tragically hip episode. <laughs> I think it's like number 14 or something. The best Let's- part of that story is that your mother asked what he did. What do you do for a living? <laughs> I never get over that. I wanted to tell it today just to tell that part of the story. So what do you do? Yeah. What do you do? <laughs> yeah. Like we've been cooing about this for three weeks. Nobody can believe yeah. he's here. And she was just so cool. It was, it was awesome. It was too great. Yeah. George, kind of a similar story to what you had uh, with your Tom Cruise meeting. It's funny how I always remember these based around what I was doing in my office on a given day. <laughs> We had run some sort of contest in our office, monthly sales award or something. I can't remember what it was. The prize was a Club Monaco gift certificate. I was like, oh shit, this is supposed to be awarded today. Like I need this Club Monaco gift certificate. And so I run to the Club Monaco that's close to my office. And they're like, yeah, no, the only place you can buy gift certificates is up at our flagship store up on Bloor Street. You know, this is probably 2000, 2001. So I take the subway up to Midtown and I go and like the flagship store for Club Monaco in those days, I think it's actually still the same, was right at the corner of Avenue and Bloor in a big old bank building. So it's this big grand building. It's got a huge entrance with a stairway. I come out of the subway station and while I had been on the train, it had just started pouring rain and I didn't have a jacket. I didn't have a raincoat, nothing. I'm just in a suit and I'm like, oh, fuck, right? I, I need this. So I go... That's it. I just got to put my head down and run. So I put my head down and I sprint for a block through the pouring rain. I run up the stairs through the first door. It's like a vestibule and I am soaking wet. So you know how you you, you come in and you're like shaking yourself off and I'm like (laughs) looking down. I had my glasses on. So I take my glasses off and I'm going like, ah, fuck, God damn it. You know, shit, fuck. Fuck, God damn it. You know, shit. I'm like trying to wipe the rain off me and dry myself off. And ah, I'm like super like aggravated. I realized in the course of doing this that there's somebody standing in front of me. And I'm like, oh, okay. Well, somebody's there. And then I hear this. Wow, you got a lot going on, kid. Let me tell you something you already know. The world ain't all sunshine and rainbows. It's a very mean and nasty place, and I don't care how tough you are, it will beat you to your knees and keep you there permanently if you let it. And I look up, and it's Sylvester Stallone. No way. (laughs) (laughs) No shit. And it's just me and him in this little, like, seven-foot-by-seven-foot marble vestibule lobby of this little bank building, standing there facing each other. I'm soaking wet, like, looking like an idiot in a soaking suit, and I'm just like oh my God, this is Sylvester Stallone. And he looks like a million bucks. He looked like he literally had just had a facial 30 seconds earlier, had been dipped in olive oil. He just was glowing. I was like, wow. And I'm like, yeah, uh, shit, it's raining. And he kind of laughs and I kind of laugh. And then two women walked up behind him with five bags in each hand and kind of like grabbed them and they walked out past me. Sly. Sly Stallone. Much like Tom Cruise, he was significantly shorter than me. <laughs> and I'm shorter than you. I'm only six foot with shoes on. And he was significantly shorter than me. He might be shorter than Cruise. Lester, that reminds me of a conference in Winnipeg at the, the big hotel downtown. What's that one called? Um, the one on the corner of Portage and Maine. Well, now it's the Fairmont, but it used to be the Weston. We had a recreation conference there. And because we so had spent so much money there, we got the prime suite at the top. So the conference organizer got to use that, but I got there Mm -hmm. before he did and I was part of the organizing committee. So I get a key and I kind of open the door and as I open the door, I can hear somebody rustling around inside. 
and <laughs> comes over to the door. James Brown. <laughs> With his, his hair was all crazy and he was in this robe and I was like, oh, holy cow, sorry. And he had played a concert the night before and, and it was just like, oh, okay, so, sorry about that. My bad. They let me in too soon. And so went back down and sure enough, he comes back out about an hour later, two hours later with silver tipped boots and these two beautiful women on each arm and gets into this giant limousine and drives away. <laughs> it was awesome. The hardest working man in show business. Hardest working man in show yeah. business. I was actually quite close to James Brown one time, Bruce, because the nightclub where I went in there during the day and I met Matt Sundin, when that place opened, this place was ridiculous. It was clearly mob money laundering. Like it's insane how much money they spent. When they opened the place, they shut down the street in front of it. And our office was on that street. They shut down the street. Outdoor. It was kind of like a back lane, mm. but it was you know, a couple hundred yards long. They put down indoor carpet on the entire length of the street. They roped it off at both ends. They blocked it off. The event organizers actually came to our office and said, you know, hey, we're doing this. We're hosting this huge private party for the opening of this club. Sorry, like, what can we do to make this okay for you? And I was like, well, clearly you have to let all of Mm -hmm. our employees attend this party. And they're like, Yes, absolutely. So the party (laughs) kind of kicked off at like four in the afternoon. It was so decadent. Huge ice sculptures. The waitresses were all like strippers walking around with trays of free drinks and food. My sales guys are out there getting hammered. By five o'clock, they're (laughs) ridiculously drunk. The musical act was James Brown. And when I left my office that evening and I stepped out of the door, the stage was about six feet from the door and he was on stage. So I was like, oh, I stepped out and I just like stood there. And so I was, I don't know, maybe... 10 feet away from him for 45 minutes of his concert. Wow, this is like crazy. I'm like really close to James Brown while he's performing. Now, he wasn't in a hotel suite in a rope with his manhood on display for you. But Hair and curlers. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but that's kind of, uh, kind of funny. George, you got any more? No, I think those are my peak stories. Yeah, there's nobody famous in Calgary. When George was at the NBA Finals a couple of years ago, he spent about... 10 minutes standing right beside Jeannie Bouchard, the tennis player, and, had, and didn't realize who he was standing beside the entire time. <laughs> and it was like looking down at his phone. I was in the drink line getting his beers, and I'm looking over at him, and he's just like looking around, looking cool, like, yeah, fuck, whatever. There's celebrities everywhere. And he's like looking down. I'm like looking at him, trying to get his attention. I'm like, dude, that's Jeannie Bouchard standing like right beside him. She's gorgeous. I mean, she's way too young for us. She is gorgeous. But she's gorgeous. And I'm like, yeah, dude, that was Jeannie Bouchard. You should have talked to her. <laughs> she seems a little snobby, though. I don't know if she would have even talked to you, George. Yeah, she, was, she probably She was probably have. not giving you the time of day. Bruce, you and I have a crossover on this list because years ago, my good friend, Debbie Foster, friend of the pod, Debbie at one point in time was the business manager for Tony Little. You know, the Tony Little gazelle, the loudmouth (laughs) idiot with the big blonde ponytail. (laughs) She has more incredibly funny stories about Tony Little than you could ever possibly imagine. I had dinner with Tony Little in Toronto one time. Hilarious night. So she calls me up one day, and I can't remember the exact details. Bruce, you'll remember better than I do. But she basically goes, okay, Tony just called me. He wants to go to a place called Churchill, Manitoba. And apparently I have to fly him into Thompson. What am I doing here? That's where you're from, right? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, what do you need? She's like, I need someone to like sort out Tony. He wants to go hunting in the Arctic. And I'm like, I got your guy. <laughs> so I call up Bruce. I go, Bruce, I'm sending Tony Little to you, pick him up at the airport, sort him out, take him to his hotel, do whatever. Like, this is what you got to do and charge him whatever you think is a reasonable amount to charge him, 10 times that amount. He will pay you whatever you <laughs> Charge him like $2,000 to drive him from the airport to the hotel. Like, do whatever you want. Like, be as ridiculous as you can possibly be. He will pay it. The guy is a, is a total <laughs> maniac. The part I remember is you calling saying, rent the biggest black vehicle you can find. Like, basically, yeah. something that looks like a limo or a... Secret Service SUVs. Like a Yukon. Anything like that. So that's what I that's what I got a big black Yukon, picked him up at the airport. And you're right, he was terrified of the wilds of northern Canada. Of course I drove him past the homeless shelter in the liquor store of Thompson and he just kept asking me if the doors were locked. And he was he was absolutely terrified. And yeah, we had to go to home hardware and buy a gun lock or something, and then I dropped him off at his hotel. And I don't remember what I charged him, but you're right. He wasn't shy with the tips and with the cash, but he came a second time. 
Debbie sent some cigars. He was coming from the States or something and he couldn't bring them. So they got shipped. So I took some cigars out to the airport for him. But I thought, I'm taking this unmarked brown package to some guy I don't really know. Like, maybe this isn't such a good idea for me either. Who's flying up from Miami. Yeah, exactly. So again, he flipped me a few bucks for doing that. Because I think twice he came hunting in the one time. Yeah, he shot, I thought he shot a wolf. Might have been the lodge dog. It was. Yeah. Um... <laughs> That's my favorite Shoots part. a res dog. Bruce sends me a message. He's like, he shot a wolf and he brought it back. And he wants me, he wants me to get it butchered. I think he was more talking about taxidermy, but... I don't have the heart to tell him that he shot a dog. <laughs> oh, boy. And he's short, too. Yeah, oh, yeah, he's a, he's a tiny little guy. And just a, just a maniac. I've got another story involving Debbie Foster. My 30th birthday. This is an appropriate story, being that I'm, I'm coming up on my 50th birthday. My 30th birthday, I was in L.A. on business with Debbie Foster. We take a, a bunch of people to the Palm Steakhouse in Beverly Hills. This is on the company expense account. I'm 30. I don't have any money in those days, right? But I'm like, yeah, we're living it up. This is my 30th birthday. We're ordering expensive wine. We're doing all this stuff. So we're sitting there. We're having a good time. The waitress walks by with this tray of drinks, and it's all like typical, which you imagine for Beverly Hills. It's $20 apple teenies and all this fancy shit. And then one can of Budweiser on her tray in a can. And I'm like, oh, that's kind of funny. I kind of chuckle. And I'm like, you know, 20 minutes later, I see her walk by again, same direction, same thing. Big tray of drinks, one can of Budweiser. I'm like, oh, this is like funny. I got to see what's going on here. I turn around and I look over my shoulder and at the table right behind me, sitting back to back with him, Norm from Cheers. <laughs> no shit. Sitting with a big, at a big table of people, all these Hollywood types, and they're all ordering fancy drinks and dressed up. And he looks like Norm, like looks like a total schlub. He's hanging over both sides of his chair, and he's ordering Budweiser in a can. Like he never left character from the show. <laughs> I've got one other like funny thing, and this is a crossover with George as well, because he's the front part of this story. I've actually met both Pierre and Justin Trudeau. Oh, nice. Father and son prime ministers of our country. George was with me when we met Pierre Trudeau on our our, our French exchange to Quebec way back when. We were on a bus in Montreal. Dave Hickey, our old French teacher, recognized Pierre Trudeau walking down the street. This would have been 83, maybe? Yeah, something like that. So he was not long out of office. We were on a big tour bus full of kids from Thompson. And he gets the bus driver to pull over, and he jumped off the bus, ran up to Pierre Trudeau on the street, I guess, said, I got a bunch of Canadian students here from northern Manitoba on on an exchange. He came on the bus, walked up and down the aisle. What I remember most was he was wearing a huge fur coat. Yeah, I remember that. Gorgeous, very French, very stylish fur coat. And he came on the bus and said, hello to everyone. And George, yeah, you were with me. We were probably sitting side by side on on the bus. We met Pierre Trudeau. The the funny thing with the French trip is revisionist history. I've heard that story so many times and I I was part of the French. I was only part of the Thompson end of the French trip, but I feel like I was there. That's one of those things mm. that someday in my life, I could describe that scene as if I was there because I've heard it so many times and hung out with you guys and everything. Yeah. Bruce, why did you not go on that trip? I've been asking myself that question for for 35 years. I think I just elected not to go. Like I just decided not to go, but then it was an exchange. And so... So you guys went to Quebec and yeah. did that whole thing. And then the Quebec people came to Thompson after, and you guys were friends with them. And because I was friends with you, I was yep. I was all in on the Thompson hanging half of the them. trip, right? Yeah. Like the parties yeah. and hanging out with everybody. Yeah. So I, I feel like I was on that trip and I've heard all this stories so many times, but I, I didn't do yeah. the Quebec half. Which yeah, Krakowitz was on that trip with us. Big Wave Dave was on yeah. that trip with us. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, he was on there. And then, you know, I've met Justin Trudeau a couple of times. I also met Brian Mulroney. So I'm now realizing that I've met three prime ministers. And Mulroney is the most interesting story because I was at, uh, this is a diving event. It was a multi-sport event. So I think it was probably Canada Games and it was in Saskatchewan. We were at the opening ceremonies, right? Where all the athletes are there. And at that time, the premier of Saskatchewan was a guy named Grant Devine. Grant Devine had been the best man at my parents' wedding. He was my dad's best friend in college and then went on to get into politics and become the premier of Saskatchewan. So I never met him, but I always knew this. I'm like, man, I think I got to go meet this guy. 
angling my way through the crowd, like elbowing out, you know, everybody out, you know, blah, 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 trying to get like close enough, close enough. And there's like a line right there going through, they're shaking hands. The press is all following them. It's the big opening ceremonies for Canada Games. As he comes through the line, I, I get up to the front, I reach out, I grab his hand and look at him. I go, Mr. Devine, you've never met me, but you were the best man at my parents' wedding. And he stops dead and he looks at me. He's like, wow. I go, yeah, Guy Hansen is my father. You were the best man at my parents' wedding. He's like, whoa, you're Guy Hansen's son. And he like <laughs> lights up like a Christmas tree. Oh, wow, fantastic. And he starts fully engaging me like, we're having shit. This is incredible. Like as it would be if we now at 50, you know, met, you know, someone like that, one of our friends, right? <laughs> and then he goes, Brian, Brian, come here. There's someone I want you to meet. And literally, because it's Mulroney, like the security get out of the way, the press, the crowd get out of the way, the crowds part, and Mulroney walks over, and he introduces me to him. He's like, oh, this is Les Hansen. Yeah, I knew his father, you know, really well. Now he's a, what, are, what sport are you, Les? I'm diving. He's a diver from Manitoba. So I'm standing there shaking hands with Mulroney. All of the press were there. And then his, Grant Devine's office sent me a, a photograph of it that he had signed, you know, nice to meet you. Congratulations. Grant Devine. <laughs> and it came like from the office of the, of the premier. Yeah. You see a bunch of my teammates standing there, just these looks of, you know, on their faces, like, what the, how did he swing this? Like, what the hell is going on? It's like in the papers and on mm. the news and whatnot. And- no. Isn't Grant Devine's story that the day your dad got married, the whole back row of the church was ladies crying? Because they, they, they were so sad that he was gone. He was, he was such a big catch. I feel like that's a story I've heard before. <laughs> Who was the premier of Manitoba before Pallister? Before Brian Pallister? Selinger? I had a beer in dressing room one of the CA Nesbitt Arena with Brian Selinger. Wow. It's Greg Selinger, not Brian. While he was while he was premier? While he was the premier, yeah. He came up to do this big press release and it was to open the arena, the new facility. Tim Johnson, who was the mayor, was like, we got to do something totally Thompson, something cool. Get a garbage can full of beer, get it in dressing room one. As we were waiting before the speech and after we were having beers in room one, I think in the end he actually only had a water, but all of his staff and everything, it's like you say they're poor political staff, like everybody was all in on the beers and and snacks, right? (laughs) They're grinding the free stuff for sure. Yeah, totally. That was good. So Bruce, I got one last story for you. It's my trump card. A number of years ago, you guys know this, I was going through some business transactions. I was working on selling a company. I went to a meeting and these guys were trying to get me to attend this meeting. I wasn't very excited about it, but you know, I went because you got to chase down some of these opportunities. They were throwing on all the dog and pony shit, the stuff that's not necessary if you have a really clean business deal, but you know, you do if you're kind of on the fringes. <laughs> So this guy's like, hey, uh, come here, Les. We, we really want you to come into this, uh, this boardroom here. There's somebody uh, you're, you're going to be really impressed. We have a, a special attendee who's going to come to this meeting. And I think you're, I think you're really going to be impressed. I'm like, for fuck's sakes, man. Like, what, are you, like, what is this all about, right? So we're sitting and he's chatting. You know, we're talking about this deal a little bit. And, you know, they're talking about what they're going to order for lunch and all this stuff. And he goes, yeah, Les, uh, so there's someone, here, uh, there's someone here I'd like you to meet. He's coming in right now. I turn over my shoulder and I see an enormous man walking into the room behind me and I turn my chair around and it's Lennox Lewis, former heavyweight champion of the world, Lennox Lewis. And I'm like, wow, holy shit. I did not expect that. I did not expect Lennox Lewis to be, and I'm like thinking what's going on. You got some promotional thing going on with Lennox Lewis or something, right? Like, what is he here? Why is he in town? Yeah. Like how random is that? Yeah. Right. And I'm like, holy shit. He introduces himself. He reaches out his hand. He says, hi, this is me. And I reach out. And all I could think reaching out and shaking his hand was, this hand has punched Mike Tyson in the face. <laughs> That's all I could think about. His hand was enormous. And his knuckles were huge, right? Like all like swollen up old boxer knuckles. So his hand is like shaking like a tree stump. But I was like, wow. And so they rearrange things. So you know, he sits down at the table beside me and we sit there, we have lunch and we're chatting. I fucking did not come here expecting to meet Lennox Lewis today. That's pretty incredible. You guys know I'm a big boxing fan. It's huge. I leave and through some different, I don't know, gymnastics, that deal fell apart. Some other guys called me and they said, listen, Lennox wants to meet with you again. He wants to talk about parts of these deal. So Lennox Lewis came out to my facility and met with me and made me an offer to buy my company. 
And I spent two or three hours one-on-one, me and Lennox, his handlers, he had a driver and he had a business manager with him hanging out. And I'll tell you, the guy was smart. He just has this presence of, I'm a gentle giant and I know it, but I'm never going to use my physical presence to impose at all. He's very cerebral and calm and super polite and like very thoughtful. Like he asked really, I mean, he knew not from the industry, but asked really insightful questions. He left and I was like, Jesus Christ, I just spent like fucking three hours hanging out with Lennox Lewis. And the thing that I kicked myself for is I didn't have the balls at the end to ask him for a photo because I thought, well, now I'm going to seem like a fan and I'm trying to negotiate like a pretty big size deal here. I don't want to look like I'm a fan. And so I never asked him for a photo, so I never got one. Well, great story. Too bad it's just a story. Yeah, too bad it's a story. It's a made-up story. (laughs) A month later, I got a phone call in my office from one of the guys who was trying to put together the deal on Lennox's side. And he goes, Les, listen, we're trying to arrange a call. Lennox really wants to speak to you again. He's in Vegas this week for the prize fight, and he's going to give you a call tomorrow morning. Like, can you be, I'm like, yeah, dude. You got my cell phone number, take take call anytime. So he was at a, uh, like a Floyd Mayweather fight or something. It was like one of those big Vegas yeah. fight weekends. <laughs> and he called me the next morning, like the Sunday morning after the fight, called me his, again, his people got me on the phone and then mm-hmm. he got on the phone and he chatted me up and he said, yeah, you know, I'd really like to do this. And I still have, I have it in a frame in my office the offer letter with his signature on it from him trying to buy my company. The deal didn't close. I didn't sell it to him. <laughs> nice. I had business negotiations with Lennox Lewis and it was really fucking cool. I wish when he phoned back, it was because he was disappointed. He forgot to ask for a picture with you. I thought that's what you were going to say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. I wish that was the case too. He's like, Les, we spent all that time together and I forgot to ask you for a picture. <laughs> Okay, lightning round, George. The whole reason I did this podcast was you texted us earlier this week saying you think you could maybe get Bret Hart on the podcast. There's no way any of us would turn down that that podcast. Get Who would you get on the podcast if you could have anybody be a guest with us and tell us a story about golfing with Bret Hart? Yeah, I don't know if you're like trying to slow creep this to see if I can get this guy, you know, (laughs) Bret, who lives, who's a Calgarian and, you know, in the lore of professional wrestling, oh, it would serious. be hard to argue yeah. that his family isn't a pillar of the wrestling community. I'm just going to reach out to the guy and see if he's willing to come on to you know tell funny stories. We'll see. It'll be funny. <laughs> uh, who would I like? Man, you. I, I don't. Uh, I don't know. I, I don't know who I would like above all else. So I think I might have to pass that and think about it a little bit more. Because I probably have sentimental things that I don't want to get too sappy about. Uh, but yeah, I'm going to pass that. I don't think, let me think about that for a little bit. Okay, Lester, who you got? You got someone who you who who would be your ultimate get for the podcast? Yeah, Jesus, George punted that down the street, eh? Holy shit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you still haven't told us the story about golfing with Red Hart. Yeah. How was it? Like, did you play nine holes together? Like, did you really golf together? We were doing a charity thing for the Foothills Foundation. So yeah. similar to what, what you had said in your earlier stories, he golfed a hole with uh, everybody. Yeah. Okay. So he came and he golfed. He was the fourth with us. You know, a really pleasant guy, broken body. Like you could just tell that. Was he a decent golfer? You know what? I, I don't think so. I could tell his back was hurting. Yeah. No surprise there. <laughs> he wasn't trying to go for long ball. That's for sure. You know, he was a bit morose. That day, so I could tell he wasn't chatty because if we ever get him on the pod, I'd have a million wrestling questions. Oh, so do I, dude. <laughs> so anyways, that's the story of me golfing with Bret Hart, which wasn't really golfing with him as I golfed a hole with him and he definitely was not in a chatty mood. So I hope he doesn't listen to this pod <laughs> as the one that would make him decide that he would come on this pod. 
when I reach out to him. Maybe we do a wrestling series, George, because one of my many brushes with greatness was uh, Jamie Shanks was best buds with Chris Jericho. Oh, yeah. You told yeah, that. No, you mentioned before. that. Yeah. I've mentioned yeah, that before, yeah. that he came to our place in university and said, I'm going to be a pro wrestler. And I was like, yeah, sure, whatever. And then sure enough, he, was, he still is on TV. Yeah, he's huge. Who knows? Maybe that's my get. Maybe I should see if Shanks could line up uh, Chris Jericho for the pod. That would be unbelievable. <laughs> They're still in if touch. If you get Chris Jericho, I bet you I could you know, convince Brett. If it's not a wrestler, Lester, who do you want to get? Okay, so I made a list when you threw out this topic, and I knew George was bringing the hammer that he had golfed with uh, Brett the Hitman Hart. I started jotting down like everybody that I've met, and I met very briefly at a Raptors game a number of years ago, probably about 10 years ago, chatted with him for about 30 seconds, and I think he'd be an incredible guy to have like an hour-long conversation with, and that's Mark Cuban, the owner of the Dallas Mavericks. He would be unreal. He's like, sports digital media stuff, economics, politics, like all the social, cultural things, all the stuff that we like to shoot the shit about, he would be fun to talk to. And it was just super, like, gregarious, like, super friendly to everyone who was coming up to him. He's, like, the owner who comes and he sits, like, with the fans, like, close to the game, right? Like, that's why he was he was close to the court. That's why we got a chance to talk to him for a few minutes. But uh, you guys work on those wrestlers. I'll see if I can reach out to Mark Cuban's people. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? It's funny, Les. One of the people I wrote down as a guest I'd like to have is Bill Simmons. But at the same time, I would be too intimidated. He's too sharp. Honestly, I, I would be embarrassed to try to go toe-to-toe with that Good. guy. Like, even though he seems personal. I just feel like he would leave thinking I was playing in the scrub league. It was just boring. It's funny you mentioned that, Bruce, because I had this conversation with a couple of friends of mine the other a little while ago who aren't big sports fans like I am. And I was making that point that Bill Simmons is an incredibly intelligent guy because it's ridiculous the pods that he has, all the sports, music, entertainment, yeah, movies, and television culture digital media, the economics of digital media, the guy understood digital media enough to sell his, you know, to chart his own path and sell his company to Spotify for $250 million, right? He speaks on all of those topics as an absolute expert. It's incredible how quality he is. So I I, I would agree. He'd be an intimidating guy. Well, I don't know if I'd be intimidated, but he'd be a incredible guy to talk to big, yeah big big time nerds if we had him on yeah <laughs> bill simmons podcast listen to it uh you know what then it just occurred to me who i'd like to have on because <laughs> i think bruce you emulate him a little bit as i'd like to have ron mcclain on oh i never thought of ron mcclain i would you're right i would like to have him on just because think of anybody that i've heard more than anyone else on tv and his ability and how sharp he is on point and how well he is off cherry. Yeah. You've got to be smart to be witty, to be able to catch things. So I'd like him just because I think he could talk on a whole bunch of topics. And he could talk about anything. I, I would never talk hockey because I don't know anything about hockey, really. Yeah. But I bet you you could talk to him about anything. And I don't think you should sell yourself short. There is nobody I wouldn't have a conversation with. We're three smart guys. And we could talk to anybody. When he was here for that little hockey day in Thompson, we hung out with him a little bit. Michael had a nice brush with him. They had a little skate where kids could skate with Ron McLean and with uh, the other hockey players that were there. And somehow my brother ended up being the like the coach guy that was supposed to help. And they get out there and he thought that he was just the helper. And McLean turned to him and went, so what are we going to do here? <laughs> like, what are we going to do with these kids? <laughs> so in the course of the conversation, they talk about a couple of things. And sure enough, later on, in what seemed like just conversation, not prepping him for this in the sports cast later on he goes yeah and Mike Krentz his son won the Munn Cup and so did he and now he's coaching as a thing da 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 right and he he just knocks those things off and you're right George he picks them up and he's just so sharp and knows right when to to weave them in yeah he had 20 of those he picked up during the afternoon of just hanging out in Thompson sharp minds guys who speak like that all the time as a profession and engage with people as a profession they're just so good at it it reminds me uh I've never met Ron McLean but I was in um in the Maple Leaf Lounge in Regina a number of years ago. And I'm sitting there and like the Maple Leaf Lounge in Regina is tiny, as you might imagine. I always make jokes. I, I say it's, it's sort of like being in somebody's basement. There isn't even like a front desk. They give you a code that you punch into the door so that you can actually get in. And you go in and there's just a bunch of seats and there's like a bunch of fridges with booze along the wall. So people are just sitting there pre-drinking before they get on their flights. Like it's kind of fun. I'm sitting in there. I hear this guy talking behind me. I'm like, Jeez, I recognize that voice. 
holy crow, I know I know that voice. And I turned around and it was Brian Williams. Oh, wow. The CBC sports guy with such a recognizable voice. And he was having a very pleasant conversation with somebody who had walked up to him. And so that guy leaves or whatever. And I'm like, I got to say hello to him. So I just walk over and I go, Mr. Williams, just want to say I've been listening to you on television for years, you know, watching you. Great to meet you. Uh, really, really enjoy your work. And he's like, oh, he immediately went into his shtick. Like, he's like, oh, where are you from? And I go, oh, from Winnipeg. And he's like, oh, this is what I love about Winnipeg. And he just starts flowing <laughs> about places and people. And I love this and that and the Jets and the Blue Bombers and blah, blah, And he just was tick, 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 tick. And I was, I was having this really nice conversation. But I was realizing when I turn and walk away, the next guy's going to walk up and say, hey, I'm from Calgary. And he's going to do the exact same thing, right? He's just got like that. The continuously flowing banter on facts and information <laughs> on places yeah. and people in Canada. It's really, it's pretty cool. If it was a podcast guy, one of the people that I had on that I, that I would have as a guest is Ira Glass from This American Life or PJ oh, Vote yeah, and Alex Bloomberg from the from Gimlet. And I would I would love to talk to them about podcasts because we have one and then have them critique it. Talk to them about podcasts, but then say, hey, what about ours? What could we do to be better now that you've been on it? it would, that would be really cool for me. Kind of meta. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. That's the end. You probably found us already on social media, but if not, at SnowDayPod. Tell your friends. We've also got an email, snowdaypod at gmail.com. Send us a voice memo. Maybe we'll put your voice on the show. Thanks to the rest of our team, social media Todd, producer Mike, and the secret weapon, Shannon Bison. The greatest of his day Sat together on the bench Living legend beside me My stomach's buttoned like a wrench When Marcel slid over There were a million questions in my head All of them disappeared Cause this is what he said
Lucky. 